Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. past several weeks, we've looked at uh, this family first as our sermon series. Because we recognize that when God created the universe, everything in it, he had in mind family first. Everything was about the family, about his own creation, making man and woman in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We know from the very purpose and design of male and female in the likeness of him was family, was to be fruitful and multiply. He empowered and he equipped and he blessed them to have a family, to grow as a family. Family with God and family with one another. We recognize that God had a purpose and that purpose was to bless his children. But then sin entered. We know the story. When sin entered, it weakened the life, the full life that we had in store with life of curses. It wasn't supposed to be, but there was a simple compromise that was made by the son and the daughter. Simple compromise of listening to the devil, taking that small bite, and something that seemed so inconsequential, something so small, brought about a life that was less than what God designed. God had a purpose and plan, and that was to bless, to walk in His authority, to live a fullness. But then, because of that, something so small as a, a fight and disobedience, the life was never the same. But Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. But Jesus came and died and paid for the price of our sins. But Jesus, He came and removed the, the curses. He removed it as far as the east is from the west. On that cross, through his blood, through his life, he made the way, removed that curse, and redeemed. Right? That's the gospel. That is what he has done. But there's a tension. And we have to recognize this tension. There's a tension of what God has said, I give to you, and the tension of the life that we actually live. The tension that says, you are removed. The chains have been broken. You are free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But then you feel trapped. And you see your life. You see your marriage. You see uh, the family dynamics or your work. And you don't always feel like that curse is fully removed. You understand? And if you have ever felt like, I know God has a plan for me. He plans to bless me and... and, and give me hopes in the future, but I don't feel that. I feel like my life is less than what he has in store. I want us to come back to look at why, the possibility. Mm-hmm. Is there more? And I believe that there is. We're going to look at this morning a subject of pure marriage. Pure marriage, because marriage purely displays Christ and the church, and we must remove all impurity among us. 
even the most inconsequential small things. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. We're going to look at various texts from Ephesians 5, but we'll start with Ephesians 5, 22 to 28. Ephesians 5, 22. I'll be reading from the ESV. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself, its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Amen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. It's very interesting. You know, this text, I have used this text in several weddings as part of the sermon. I think including Dylan's here. <laughs> and depending on who's sitting in the audience, you get different responses. Whether they're believers or unbelievers. Can you imagine? I've had groans. I've had <clears throat> I've had facial expressions that says, Are you kidding me? You dare to say that before my daughter? <laughs> oh yeah. I've had some responses. And I totally get it because if you were to Read, wives, submit to your husbands. And if Apostle Paul stopped there, I would have agreed with you. But you have to look at the full context of what Apostle Paul was writing about. He was bringing a parallel in the relationship of Christ had with his church in the same way the husbands had with his wife. If there's an order that God has ordained. There is a model that God has ordained. Whether we agree with it or not, whether we understand it or not, but there is a model that God has ordained. You may not be living it, you may not agree with it, but this is the model. But once you understand the model, is that Apostle Paul gave this parallel account that says that husband is the head of the wife, just as Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The question we can ask ourselves is, do we have a problem with Jesus being the head of his church? No. I would like to believe that anyone who is born again in Jesus Christ, who proclaims he is the Lord and God, that we have no problem submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Yes. The problem then is, why submit to the husbands? Why do we not see the husband as the head, that we are willing to submit to such an authority. Why are we not willing? Because maybe somewhere in our culture has taught you, you are just as equal, you are just as empowered, you are no lesser than, and I agree with that. Absolutely. But there is the order that God has ordained as the man mm -hmm. to the wife. 
Where we feel uncomfortable is the submission to the husbands because it sounds like we, the women are supposed to be less than, and that's not what the text says. There's an order. You guys understand? Mm -hmm. Apostle Paul, in writing to the church, says this is the model that God has ordained. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the husband is the head of the wife. And he ought to love his bride just the same way as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. Yes, amen. He gave himself fully. He did not hold back. It wasn't like 99% like, I will give you everything except that 1%. He gave it all, including his last breath, his yeah. blood, to save her, to protect her, to sanctify her, to make her holy. Men and husbands are commanded to do likewise. Ephesians 5.26 says that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Mm -hmm. The relationship that Christ had with the church is the relationship that the husbands are supposed to have with the wife. To give unto her, to do whatever it takes to save her. If any man gives to his wife to that level of sacrifice, I don't see any woman not being able to submit to such a husband. Amen? Amen. If a husband gives so fully as Christ did for the church, find me a woman who would not submit to such a man, such a husband. So the problem then is that the husband doesn't, and the woman doesn't. The problem is the husband does not lead the wife in the way that Christ led the church. Therefore, there's no submission. So what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Does the wife not submit because he doesn't lead or does the husband not lead because she does not submit? It's both. I believe there has been a compromise made or compromises that has entered into our marriage that has kept the husband and wife from experiencing the full measure of the marriage that he has designed. Whether it's the husband not leading in the way he ought or a woman not following or submitting in the way she ought. This is going to make us uncomfortable, guys. I recognize that. But we have to look at what the scripture says. Don't get angry with me. Get angry with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but he's led by the Holy Spirit. But if you do feel uncomfortable with some things, I need you to go to the Lord. Because there's, there's a tension in what you believe to what the scripture is saying. That's the tension. Is that when God calls us to live such a life and we are not living it, then we are making a God in our own image as opposed to we are obeying God that we are made in the image of. So there's a per perfect model that God has designed that is full of grace, full of love, full of fullness 
something so beautiful that poetry and artwork has tried to display. This is so good. When it's good, it's so good. But when it's not, it's the most heartbreaking thing. And you guys know what I'm talking about. When it's, when a marriage is living the full potential, there is nothing like it. It's a source of security, source of love, source of trust, source of everything that you could ever want. But when it's not, it's the most heart-wrenching, painful thing. So then, we got to ask, why aren't couples experiencing the blessings that the Lord desires to give unto His people? And again, I think it comes down to small sacrifices, small compromises, as tainted marriages. Ephesians 5, 1-3, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So let's dissect that. The culture that we live in with the available technologies has allowed sexual immoralities and all kinds of impurities into our homes. But there was a time when something like pornography was hard to come by and you knew where it was located, somewhere in between some mattress or in a bathroom or whatever it may be. You guys can have stories. But it was a very limited and finite place. But today, at a couple of clicks, mm-hmm. it's available. Anyone with a phone can have access. There's a lot of static here. And I'm gonna, it's either your wire, that one. We're going to switch. Sorry, bear with me. The culture that we live in with available technologies has, it's unprecedented of the last several generations. The availability of sexual images is so common that our next generation Younger people have adopted as the norm. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. It's no longer a challenge. It's like, oh, this is just the way it is. It's everywhere. If they go to school, I mean, their friends with their phones. Parents can try to control the access of the Wi-Fi at home, but elsewhere, mm-hmm. and what they're seeing. Several years back, I, I was in the church that I was in. I, I noticed a young man who came, and it was his college age. Evidently, he was very new, he was going through things, and he kept coming to our church, and I had a conversation with him that led to, you know, sitting down in a coffee shop, and we were having deep conversations, and we were having a really good conversations. He was telling me about some of the struggles that he was going through, he was searching, but 
though, though, even though problems that he had and what he was going through, when he sat in that church, he said he felt peace. I was like, praise God. So there was something that the Lord was doing. And, and so as he was sharing about the problems, I, I relate, you know, we share our testimonies to be able to draw the bridge of where he is. And I said, I've been there, you know, you know, back, I'm talking about my before Christ days. I had went from bad relationship to bad relationship, drugs, alcohol, you name it. I was going through all of that. Uh, my struggle with you know, pornography and this and that. And, and as I was sharing all these things, because I was able to relate with this young man, he kept coming back. He's like, wait a minute, what's wrong with pornography? Hmm. Like, he kept asking, what's wrong with that? It's not hurting anyone. Is that sin? Why is it a sin? Like, I tried to talk about other things, but he kept coming back to pornography because I saw it, was, it had value in his life. He couldn't let go. He couldn't talk about anything else. I, I saw that it was very important for him. Mm. He, he talked about his own broken relationship with his girlfriend, but then he couldn't let go of, about his, uh, his desire to pornography. And what I'm saying is, there are people who, even in and out of church, who will argue and think, what I do in private doesn't hurt anyone else. So why is it bad? You guys know that logic, right? Oh, yeah. If what I do in private doesn't hurt anyone else, what is wrong with it? With it? And there is something wrong with it. The view that many have adopted is if it doesn't hurt you, why does it matter? Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus said this sermon 2,000 years ago, right? And he brought about correction to people's thinking. You have heard it say. And then he would preach and take it to another level of their paradigm, their understanding, and he would correct like, you have heard it say, you know, don't commit adultery. And they're looking at their, you know, uh, their actions. Hey, I'm not committing any sins here. I'm not committing adultery. But, ah, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery yeah. in your heart. And we as men might say, man, that's impossible. Because aren't we like visual creatures? Like, what does it hurt to just look if we don't touch? How many times have you guys heard that? It, it's something that we have adopted as the norm and believe as truth. But if you look it up, men as visual creatures, that's a myth. I want you to tell you that. Scientifically, it's a myth. It's an excuse that men have used, but it's a myth. In fact, um, a study published in National Academy of Science Journal, uh, they took 2,000 men, women of different, various sexual orientation, and took them through, showing them uh, erotic images, and with, uh, with brain scan, looking at fMRI machines, okay? So they scanned the brains, the responses of men, women, 2,000, of different backgrounds. 
And they, guess what? They all had the same response, male or female. So it's not just the men that images appeal to both men and women. The problem is that men have adopted the lie that says we're visual creatures, so this is who we are, this is what we do, and set it as an excuse to allow ourselves to keep looking. It's an excuse. It's not the truth. It justifies if, we, if that was the truth, but it isn't. It's a myth. The problem is the culture has made it readily available and normalized what is sin. What was once something that you knew you weren't supposed to do, you did it, doesn't hurt anyone, and you keep doing it. And what do you do? You keep looking. Because you have not stopped yourself. I, I want to tell you that it's not sin to look at a beautiful woman and to recognize that she is beautiful. God has made her, and we can look with our eyes and, and recognize that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's our second look. And the third look. It's a look that looks slightly different. You guys understand what I'm talking about? It's not seeing and recognizing that she is beautiful. It's you doing a double take and staying there. But men, whether we are married or single, let us recognize the plan that God has set forth for us, for the men. He wants to be raised up as a leader. He wants to see you man of character, to be able to raise up and lead your family, to lead your spouse in such a way that she will submit to you, follow you. But somewhere along the line, we have compromised. We have allowed little lies, little compromises that says, it is okay, it's not hurting anyone. It is. It hurts you, it hurts your identity, and it hurts maybe your family, whether we recognize it or not. The role of men is to rise up to the call that God has in store. It's greater than what you think it is for yourself. I had a conversation with my son. I said, you know the difference between a, a boy and a man? Boy, you do things for yourself. You are just learning how to do things. But when you're a man, you do it for others. For the sake of your family, you will work. For the sake of your kids, your wife, you will give of yourself. You will serve others. You will give yourself as a sacrifice to protect them. Lay yourself on the line. That's what a man does. That separates the man and the boy. Just because you're old doesn't mean you are a man. If you can't handle the responsibility, you are not a man. You're still a boy in a man's flesh. Sound tough? Yeah. But it, it hurts me when I see grown men act like boys. But why do we think that it's okay to have wandering eyes? To watch videos or images? And if we're honest, we know we shouldn't. Thinking that it doesn't hurt anyone. So here's the truth. Um, I, I just out of curiosity, I looked up some statistics. Does watching porn have negative side effects? And do you look at, do your own research. 
There's a lot of study that says it is very um, harmful. Okay, this is a study published in JAMA Psychiatry. Frequent pornography consumption can lead to changes in the brain structure and functions, uh, potentially desensitizing the reward system and leading to decreased responsiveness to natural stimuli. Meaning, you keep watching that, the natural, real stuff that doesn't affect you. Okay, prolonged exposure to explicit material has shown to impact men's physical ED, uh, which they thought so. With the the lie is men use it as a tool to enhance, but it in fact has a negative reverse role on that. So these published in the Journal of Family Psychology has showed that pornography has a negative impact on relationship satisfaction, um, decreased intimacy, communication problems, and decreased satisfaction in sex. There's a lot more, but th those are the highlights. So consider it. People thought it may enhance their stimuli in, in the bed, but in fact, it's actually worsening it. It's in fact breaking down relationship in communication and intimacy, their own satisfaction, because it raises up a level that they expect that they don't experience in their own life. So they're not satisfied. And then it desensitizes them, it gets worse. So the culture has kind of tried to persuade us with this lie. What doesn't hurt her won't hurt anyone. What she doesn't know doesn't bother. But it does. It hurts your relationship. It hurts your communication. It's, oh my gosh. It's interesting. This information should be nothing new. If you do any kind of research and read, do reading on your own, or if you've been a Christian and you've been in the church, you've heard this before. It, it should not be new. But what I recognize is that the church did not talk about sex very often. In fact, I feel a little uncomfortable because I have my kids here. <laughs> so bear with me. But here is the fallout of the church. Because people get uncomfortable in hearing about sex in the church, and often the pastors are uncomfortable to talk about sex in the church, we have avoided talking about it. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Outside the church, they are talking about it yeah. earlier than you think. In fact, uh, my son, when he was in first grade, we went to public school, and within the first week or two, with this all happened in like the first week, his music teacher, I believe, showed her family picture and said, this is my partner. This is to a first grader. And they came back a little confused. Can you have two moms? Hmm. It, it brought about a conversation that was so much earlier than we expected. They are far more evangelical about their sexual identity and talk than the church is about yeah. the blessing that God has for you. They are far more evangelical about their ideology and talking about it and bring it to the forefront than we are willing to even talk about. It. Because if we're, you know, uh, true love waste campaign, if we want to do that for our kids, when do we do it? Middle school, high school? That's too late. They're already hitting them at first grade. 
So what I'm saying is, the world is introducing our kids yeah. to this far earlier, whereas the church had been standing back home when they're of age. But that has been already too late. They have already normalized their view of this lies yeah. and compromises in their thinking, and the church in their response, we're just trying to patch up the damage that's already been done. Behind every sin is a lie. Behind every sin, there's a lie. If you have ever wondered if your marriage or your family is not living up to the full potential of God's plan, you might ask the Lord, is there a compromise whether you or anyone else has introduced into your household? Because, again, it comes out to the tension of here is God's word, God's plan for you. It is good, it's better than you think. Mm -hmm. Then we are living somewhere here, wondering, God, hello, I want to get up there. And he says, here's a model for you. Here's a model for your family. Here's a model for how you are to live. If there's any sexual immorality, if there's any impurity, if there's any covetousness, get rid of those things. And we're like, if it's not hurting anyone, why does it bother? And I'm not talking about just sexual immorality or wandering eyes or pornography or all those things. I believe that is the key. But it's the little compromises. It's the compromises where we take God's word as a secondary to what we want. Mm -hmm. And when there is a tension of God's word and God's standard and you are not living it up, you have to wonder why. Is God made in your image or are you made in his image? Family first. God's model of creation. We have reversed many order of things. I'm not saying a, a, a woman or a wife is less than the husband. I'm not saying that at all. There is the order. God has ordained the men to be the head. Men, rise up. Stand up to your authority. Lead. Get rid of compromises. And woman, if you see your man rising up, you submit. Let us humble ourselves before one another. But there is a plan that God has for his people that is better than anything. Amen. We can imagine what we have to obey. I believe that there are small things, small compromises that makes big impact. For better and for worse. Men, let us recognize that your small gestures can make huge impact in your marriage to your spouse. Try a little gift. Try a little affirmation. Try a little serving that she does not expect. Little things. And I will promise you that will reap multiples in return. Amen? Amen. Ladies, am I, am I on the right track? Yeah. <laughs> Small things build up to big, big returns. In the same way, small, small compromises can destroy your marriage. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that. 
Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. But Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is nothing that is unredeemable. There is nothing that is too difficult for our Lord. Our mistakes, big or small, can be redeemed. We have to repent and turn from our ways. Correct that which we have done. When we go, go to the Lord, we confess our sins, He will forgive our sins. He will redeem that. Right? First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the truth is, if we confess our sins to our Lord, He will forgive you. Amen. If you confess your sins to your wife, she might forgive you. <laughs> know the difference. God is far more gracious than your wife might be. There is consequence to our sins. Just because we confess that doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. We have to turn from our ways. Yeah. There has to be a redemptive act on our part to correct that which we have wronged. So if we screw up, the good news is God will forgive you. She might. It would take a lot more effort. But I believe, and I'm convinced of this, if we go to the Lord with truly a repentant heart and say, Lord, help me, I, I want to make this marriage work. I have failed you before. I have made compromises, this and that before. But Lord, I come to you and I vow to follow after your word and your model. I will rise up to be the man that you have called me to be. I apologize. I repent of my past. Forgive me, Lord. But help me redeem this. I believe he would help. I believe he will save. But it takes a heart of repentance. God does not want to see his families broken. So when we turn and repent, I believe he will redeem that. If that's what you want, that's what you're willing to fight for. I believe that there is a, if we are not living to the full extent of the Zoe life, the full life that Jesus came to give, if we recognize that we are living less than the full potential for our marriage, for our families, then we have to recognize where we are and what we have been doing. It, it, it's having a clean slate, starting fresh, recognizing our mistakes, our past, and saying no more repentance. Repentance is changing our thinking and changing our ways. And making that decision as for me and my house, it's a Joshua commitment. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. So whatever that's in the past, we leave behind the, the land and the culture and the way we used to live. But as for me and my house today and moving onward, we serve the Lord. That's the commitment you have to make. It's not too late. I have seen too many men give lip service, saying, I want change, I will change, but don't change. Repentance is not just giving lip service. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know what that lip service is to benefit, to persuade their friends that they're going to change, but they don't change. God knows whether we're giving him the service Amen. or not. Yep. True repentance is saying, I have sinned. I repent and I will change. Lord, after you, because I want what you want me to have. And that's hard. Oh, it's hard. It's a constant struggle for me at that. It's my confession. Mm -hmm. I remember when uh, Caleb was talking about TikTok and how he was gaining all these uh, subscriber base and social media, right? Because if you've ever seen um, Caleb, our senior leader, on TikTok and social media, he's very active and he's very good at it. And so I, I wanted to see what he was doing. And then you browse through TikTok and then you get in the rabbit hole and all these images start, I, I had to delete the app because I confess I'm not strong enough. Because some, however that algorithm works in, in the rabbit hole that I went down, it's like, I can't shut that thing off. I deleted it. It's a constant battle. We have to recognize that. I am very keen on where I can go and where I cannot because I know my weakness. I'm not boasting about my strength here. I am boasting about my weakness to say, I am not strong enough, so I will avoid some past. I won't even download it. It's way too much temptation. Because I know that impacts not only my marriage, my relationship with God, but also relationship with my kids and to you guys. Yep. It's a little compromises that makes big impact elsewhere. It does harm. But I want the fullness of what God wants. I want the fullness of what God wants for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.